Welcome back to The Compass, the podcast ministry of Calvary Baptist Church of Fayetteville, Arkansas. We're thrilled that you've chosen to download and listen as we continue our journey through God's Word. On today's podcast, Pastor Kirk is once again speaking on the subject of Advent. Now, if you're looking for a church to call your own, a place to connect with other believers and to serve and to grow, we would love to connect with you at Calvary Baptist Church. You can find out more information at calvaryfayetteville.com. You can email us at info at calvaryfayetteville.com or call us at 479-442-4634. We're also on social media. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram and even Twitter. We're thrilled that you're listening today, and Pastor Kirk is sharing a message entitled, Why Christ Came, and it's taken from Galatians chapter 4 and verses 4 through 7. Let's listen together. Turn in your Bibles, if you would, to the book of Galatians chapter 4. The book of Galatians chapter 4, it's where we've been all this month, this Advent series A3, all about Advent. And I hope it has been enlightening to you, helpful to you. And if I had not shared anything with you that you did not already know, then I hope and pray that as always you are encouraged by the Word. Let's read this text together. I believe it'll be on the screen, right? There we go. Let's read it together in unison. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. This is the word of the Lord. And if you want to uh, keep your Bibles open, we're going to be referring to portions of that. It's always good to lay your eyes on it yourself, on your Bibles. And if you do not have a Bible, it's page number 974 in uh, one of the pew Bibles there in the book rack in front of you. Well, we have uh, so far asked, and I trust answered, uh, the three questions so far about Advent. First of all, what is Advent all about? The word Advent means a coming or an arrival, and specifically, I like what one uh, dictionary defined it. It is the arrival of a most notable person, and of course, that person is the most notable person of all history, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ who became flesh to live and walk among us. We call this the incarnation of Christ. And so with that thought in mind that uh, the what of Advent, we emphasized these words, God sent forth his son. I believe that's, yeah, there you go. God sent forth his son. That's what it's all about. And then we ask and sought to answer the question, well, when did Advent take place? And we have to remember that there are Two advents. One of them took place. One we are anticipating. We are living in the already and the not yet, but the already advent, the coming of Christ the first time, Scripture says it was when the fullness of time had come. That means it was a time set by the Father. 
It met all the specifications that had been determined and preordained in eternity past before there was a creation, before there was a universe, when there was just God. God decided, Father, Son, and Spirit together, when the fullness of time would be. It was a time full of promise. It was a time that was preordained, prophesied, and given a heads up, it was preceded by another person, John the Baptist, who was sent to pave the way. Then last week we asked and sought to answer a third question about Advent. And the question last week was, how did all of this come about? How did it come about? And we focused on these seven words, that Jesus was born of woman, born under the law. Two aspects. His physical circumstances, he came into this world in the normal way that all human beings have come into this world. He was born of woman. Now the difference was, he did not have an earthly father. He was fathered by God the Holy Spirit, and this was supernatural, and it had to do with a virgin birth, but his physical birth took place, and I think that's hard sometimes for us as Christians to kind of get our brains around. We believe in the deity of Jesus, but we really, really struggle with the, the humanity of Christ, that, that he was made of flesh and blood. He felt pain. He felt emotions uh, just like you and me. But he was not only born of woman, the spiritual circumstances were these. He was born under the law. That means he subjected himself to the same law of God that all humanity is subject to. Not just Jewish people, but all humanity. The law of God is set forth to show us the heart of God and to show us the, the very mind of God, the very essence of who God is. And it is a law that demands perfection if we are to be accepted by the Father. Well, no man can do that. You couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. The best of men and women could not even begin to live up to the law of God. But Jesus was born under that law to show us that he was perfection. He was total holiness and justice and mercy and love. And he uh, lived by that law without offending in one single point. And he did that on our behalf. And that's what brings us to this fourth and last question in this series. Why did Christ come? Why did he do it? I think, and let me say this. If you would be a serious student of the Word of God, even if you were not brought up in a Christian home, and even if you did not know Jesus Christ as your Savior, but you honestly and sincerely read and studied the Old Testament Scriptures, there is a clear path to Christ all through the Old Testament. 
Someone has called it a scarlet thread, scarlet being the color of his blood, that begins in Genesis in the garden and weaves its way through every book, every chapter of the Old Testament. And if you would read it in honesty, and if you would believe what it teaches, then you would come to the New Testament with the understanding, we must have a sacrifice for our sins. Men and women in the Old Testament were under a continual expectation of offering guilt offerings and sin offerings and peace offerings day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year for all of their lives like their fathers before them and their fathers before them that mankind, because he is sinful, had to offer up a sacrifice to God to help expiate, to cover his sins so that he could have forgiveness or she could have forgiveness. And so you get to the New Testament and the what is very clear. What has to happen? We have to have a sacrifice. And we need something more than the sacrifice, sacrifice of the offering of bulls and goats and lambs and other things. Why? Because those things are never ending. Our sins continue day after day after day. And so all of this has to be pointing to something. And what it points to is God coming into time and space, invading time and space in what we call the incarnation, God becoming flesh to live among us and to be the perfect Lamb of God, the Lamb of God that was designated as that sacrificial lamb even before the foundation of of the world. It was decided Jesus would be that perfect lamb. So the what totally makes sense. We had to have a sacrifice. But I'm going to tell you, the why is not so easy to answer. The why is not so easy to answer. Why would God do that? for lost, rebellious sinners like you and like me. Folks, I don't want to offend anybody here, but let me just speak the truth to you. You are a wretched, miserable, hopeless sinner that has no hope of ever being acceptable to God. The best among us are worthless when it comes to generating some kind of acceptance from God by our works. We can't do it. We are poor and wretched and miserable and blind and naked as the Scripture teaches. So why would God do that? Why would God subject His Son to what Jesus went through since we were the ones who rejected Him from the beginning? Man deserves nothing from God. Nothing. Not grace. Not favor. Not a beautiful day. Not a wonderful Christmas with family and friends. God doesn't owe us our next breath or even our next heartbeat. So why did Christ come? Well, 
You can find some answers to that. You can look the back at the back of your worship guide. There are 25 reasons why Christ came taken from the Scriptures. With the Scripture, you can look it up for yourself. And you know why there's only 25? Because I have a list of 31 in my study, and I just couldn't get the other six on the page. You can find at least 31 reasons in the Bible why Christ came. And it all revolves around what basically he came to accomplish or to do. Now, the motivation behind that can be nothing but absolute godly love. Love and mercy. Now, keep in mind, God is a God of love, but never lose sight of this. God is also a God of wrath. If God was not a God who had anger against sin and sinners, if God was not a God to punish sin, if God was not a God of wrath, then he is not a holy God. He is not a just God. He is not a righteous God. But in addition to his love and mercy, is his justice, is his righteousness, is his holiness. And because he is that, he is a God who hates sin. Now, you wouldn't like it if I said it. But he is a God, the Bible also says, who hates sinners. Why? Because we've swallowed that line that is not found anywhere in the Bible just this way. Hate the sin and love the sinner. God hates sin. God hates sinners. But you and I think of that as mutually exclusive. If he hates sinners, then he can't love sinners. God does both. God does both. While he hates sin and he hates sinners who sin, which is all of us, God also overcomes that with his love and his mercy shown to you and me. And it's an amazing love. It's an amazing mercy. So I could list for you, I already have 25 reasons why Christ came. But I want you to focus on our text. And look at these last two phrases in our text. He was born of a woman, born under the law, to do what? To redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. So rather than going through all those 25 or 31 other things he says in the Bible, why he came, we're going to focus on two things from those phrases. Do you mark in your Bibles? I hope that you do. I hope you write in your Bibles. I hope that you write what God is teaching you. I hope that you write in the margins. I hope you underline phrases that mean something to you. Understand, someday you're going to die and somebody is going to inherit your Bible. Leave them a trail to Christ. Leave them a pathway to come to know and to learn and to understand what you have learned at God's feet. Two words. Underline the word redeem and underline the word receive. Why did Christ come? 
to redeem and to receive. Let's look at those two points. Christ came to redeem lost sinners. All humanity is accountable to God. All humanity, because we are God's creation, because we came into this world, and we are created beings created to answer to our Creator, He has also put us under the law and the demands of God's morality and God's expectations of His creation. He expects from us what he gave to Adam and Eve, and yet we are already at a handicap because we come into this world with a sinful nature. We got it from our moms and dads. If your mom and dad, if they are present here, turn to them right now and say, thanks a lot, mom. Thanks a lot, dad. I'm a sinner. I got it from you. But understand, even if you didn't get it from your mom and dad, you would have found it soon enough. We are sinful. We are answerable to our God. He gave us his law, which set forth his righteous expectations. This law of God reflects his attributes of sovereignty, of righteousness, of justice, of love, of eternality, of truthfulness, of his unchangeableness, of his omnipotence, he's all-powerful, of his omniscience, he's all-knowing, of his uh, omnipresence, he is everywhere at one time. These attributes, the law teaches us these truths about God. And with every truth about God, it teaches us, it shows us how, though it's expected of us, we continually fall short. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The perfect law of God, instead of becoming something attainable, a pathway for us. Galatians tells us the law of God became a curse. It became a curse. Why? Because it exposed our hopelessness. And because of God's righteous demand, it shows how we are guilty, how we are under that curse. It is it is for believers, he says, like a schoolmaster that sometimes had to reprimand you and correct you, but always the goal was to bring you to the ultimate teacher, to bring you to the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ. He came. We needed someone to fulfill the law in our place because we couldn't do it. And that's why Jesus came. Somebody had to live up to the law's expectations perfectly. He did not miss it by even one jot or one tittle, the smallest marks in the Hebrew language. We, he did not miss it. He fulfilled it in complete perfection and in joy. He did what we could not. And then he made it possible through faith in him for us to join in with him and be acceptable to our Father. He came to redeem those who were under the law. Now, why does he use the word redeem? That's not a very common word in our language today. 
When I was a kid and you went to the grocery store, and depending on how much money you spent, you got what? You got stamps. And they weren't food stamps. You got stamps that were, were like credit for how much you spent. And you'd take those stamps home and you had a little booklet that you got from the grocery store and you'd stick those stamps in there and you'd save up these books. When you get them full, you could save up. And then you could go down to Main Street in Little Rock, Arkansas and go to the gold bond. That was the kind of stamps we saved. The gold bond redemption store. The redemption, the place to redeem your stamps. You'd been saving them. You'd been spending buying groceries. There was also S&H green stamps. And you'd go to the redemption store, and you'd take your books, and you would take those down there, and for, depending on how much you had is what you could buy. You might get your mama a new toaster if she was always burning your toast in the oven. You could get most anything. When I was in Galileans, that was an organization for young boys. Guess what we did? At our whole association of churches, we collected uh, gold bond stamps. And we, we did this church after church, hundreds of churches all over the country and sent in those stamps. And guess what? Our missions office took those and bought an airplane I wore out the little old ladies in Park Place Baptist Church. I made posters and signs. And every Sunday I would come up and I would stand right before one of those ladies or two and I would look at them in the eye and say, can I have your stamps? We need to buy a plane for a missionary. Those women hated me doing that. But what could they say? And what could they do? We bought a Cessna 182 Skyline that did God's work all over Brazil. When I was a college student years later, I went as a summer missionary and I got to fly in that plane I helped buy and to fly up into the interior in the jungles of Brazil. Later on, it was used of God in Bolivia. Last time I saw it in the early 1990s, it was sitting in a hangar in Lubbock, Texas. And it was being refurbished for further use to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. All of that because we redeemed thousands of books of stamps. Now, what does that have to do with the gospel? Well, you see, God has redeemed us in Christ. The definition of redemption is this. There are basically kind of four different ways you can look at it. It'll be here on the screen. It is to buy or to pay a price. That's the most simple, basic idea of, of redeeming something. But it also means to, to rescue from loss or misuse. To rescue from loss or misuse. A, a third aspect of redeem, this Greek word, is to set free, to set free. And a fourth idea is to secure something or someone for yourself or for your own use. Now, I want you to look at that list, and I want you to see that this is the typical use, this is the typical way to describe in Bible times how a servant 
might be redeemed. Now, keep in mind, we're not necessarily talking about slaves being beat by whips and being held in chains. Most of the time in the Bible, Old Testament and New, servants were servants by choice. They were servants because it was their way of paying off a debt, of indenturing themselves till a debt is paid. And so someone who worked for someone else was called a servant. And when a servant changed hands, let's say that, that one person, one master, uh, was owed a debt, and this servant was working off this debt to his master here, this master could basically sell what was left on that debt to another person over here, and that person was said to have redeemed that servant to work for him instead. It was a common way that life took place, to buy or to pay a price. Keep this in mind. Jesus Christ bought you. He paid a price for you. Now, now, this is where that example breaks down because the idea is, Jesus said in John 8 uh, to lost people, you are of your father, the devil. You belong to Satan, the devil. And so we would naturally presume that Jesus paid the devil for us. But that's not the way that it happened. This is where it doesn't have a, an earthly counterpart or, or uh, similarity. Jesus didn't pay the devil anything. God doesn't owe Satan anything. God paid himself for us. The, the wrath of God had to be satisfied. The, the anger of God against sin had to be expiated. The word in the, in the book of 1 John is when it says Jesus is the propitiation for our sins. He, he is the satisfaction for our sins. Jesus, when he died, he was satisfying what was owed to his father. He was, he was pro, making propitiation for our sins so that the Father could look favorably upon us because Jesus had carried our sins on his shoulders to the cross. So we find that he paid for us. And not only that, but he rescued us because we were subject to death. Weighed the wages of sin is what? It's death. We were going to die in our sins and spend an eternity in hell. So he rescued us from loss. He set us free. He, one of the words describing uh, conversion many times in the New Testament is the idea of deliverance. We have been delivered. The, the prison doors have swung open. The chains have, have been broken off. And, and we are set free and liberated. But also there's that idea that he secures. He purchases us for himself and for his own use. He doesn't set us free to just go our merry way. He sets us free to come back to him that we might offer ourselves to be used by him and his lordship. So Christ came to redeem sinners. This is how the Bible talks about it in the book of Ephesians chapter 2. 
and you, speaking to us, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. You followed the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, that's Satan himself, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. And it goes on to say, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we were by nature, by birth, the children of wrath like the rest of mankind. He's writing two sinners, uh, writing two saved people and describing what their life was like. You were dead, you were disobedient, and you were fulfilling the desires of your flesh. That's all of our histories. That's our history. Dead, disobedient, living by evil desires. It goes on in that passage in Ephesians 2 to say, and because of that, we were without hope and without God in the world. But that ch same chapter also says, but God, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our sins, and trespasses. He made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. It's the only way you can be saved. By God's grace. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. That not of yourselves. It's not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We are redeemed. That's why Christ came. Now, very quickly, and we'll draw to a close. Not only did he come to redeem us, we have that word receive. Christ came also, that we might receive adoption, according to this text. That we might receive adoption. We could have been redeemed, rescued, but not received. But he said we are redeemed, we are rescued, and we are received. What are we received into? We are received into his eternal family received by adoption into his eternal family. Adoption is the act of bringing someone who is the offspring of one family into one's own family. And since unregenerate people are by nature the children of wrath and belonging to the evil one, God not only saves us, he not only forgives our sins, but he adopts us into his family. It would have been enough just to be released from slavery. But he didn't just release us from slavery. He took us in as his very own. He gathered us into his family. The scripture says, and because you are sons, verse 6 and 7, that's not a part of our text, but he goes on to explain, and because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his own son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so you are no longer a slave. You are a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. 
Notice the progression from slaves to sons to heirs. What is an heir? An heir is someone who is going to inherit that which belongs to his father. This is how Paul says it in Romans 8. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. That's the second of three times that word Abba is found in Scripture. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Jesus Christ. Let me illustrate that in a personal way. I never knew my physical birth father until I was well into my 30s. I never knew him. I even have a baby book that my mom kept for years. It has all the pertinent facts. Birth date, April 6, 1953. Birthplace, Mountain View, Arkansas. Length and weight, 22 inches long. I guess if I could have stood up, it would have been 22 inches tall. 10 pounds, 13 ounces. I guess that's why mom never wanted any other children. (laughs) Description, incredibly handsome with a full head of hair. Now, I just made up that last part, but I'm sure it was true. That book has on the front of it my name at birth, Linville Kirk Stowe. But I never knew Mr. Stowe. He made a contribution, but he wasn't around for me to know. At the age of four, my mom married Wilson Shelton. And they began the process of him adopting that incredibly handsome boy, the one with the full head of hair. So at the age of five, my name was changed from Kirk Stowe to Kirk Shelton, son of Wilson Shelton. And as he adopted me, I became the heir of all that he possessed. It was a legal transaction. This is who I am in the eyes of the law. And so it is, only much more so with you and me as God's sons and daughters. We are no longer slaves to sin. We are sons and daughters of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. We carry his name. His blood has washed us clean of all of our sins, past, 
present, and future. He has made it possible with the down payment, the earnest of our inheritance, that means the first part of our inheritance, of the Holy Spirit who lives within us. And before, when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, and we had no power against the power of sin in our lives, now we have been made alive in Christ, and the Spirit of God lives within us. His Spirit courses through our veins, and we now have a strength that we never knew before. We have the Word of God. We have the Spirit of God. And now we can live like sons and daughters of our new Father. And we can seek to have our lives fall in line more with His truth. We will never be perfect. It'll never be attained in this life. But we can be be made enough in the image of Christ that we, we can do the hard things we never thought we could do before. We can forgive people who wrong us. We can have love and mercy towards people that don't deserve our love and mercy because we realize and we remember that used to be me. And I didn't deserve it with God, but he gave it to me. And if you were to read through the five chapters of the book of 1 John, you will find one evidence after another. Look for this. Look for your love for the brethren, your love for the Word of God, your victory over sin. These are the evidences of whose child you are. Not only are we his sons and daughters, listen to me, That makes us brothers and sisters to each other. Brothers and sisters to each other. We are a family. A family. We belong to the greatest family in all the world. This family that Jesus bought us, redeemed us, and received us by adoption into, listen to me, this family is of greater importance than your physical family. Oh, I know. You might nod to that, but you don't really practice that. This family of faith is more eternal than your physical family. At the time of your death or their death, your physical family comes to an end. And I know we want to see each other in heaven and all of that, but I'm going to tell you something. When you get to heaven, you're going to look at things a lot differently than you do now. You're going to find, to begin with, it's going to hard, be a hard thing to ever even take your eyes off of Jesus when you get in glory. We belong to the greatest family in all the world. It's the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are his body. This congregation right here, this is an embassy of heaven in a faraway land. We have the authority to speak for God in this world and to act for God. That's a wonderful privilege. On the last night 
of his ministry, his earthly ministry. Jesus paid the ultimate price the next day to redeem and receive us. But the night before, he gave us a way of remembering and celebrating our standing as his children. It's called communion. It's called the Lord's Supper. If you have one of these, take it in hand, please. Peel away, first of all, the piece of bread in the bottom. If you peel away the other one first, you're going to have some problems <laughs> when you try to turn it over. Take this little wafer, this little piece of unleavened bread in your hand. Now peel away the other side. It reveals the juice, the fruit of the vine. These two elements represent something very, very special. This small piece of bread represents the body of Jesus Christ that was broken by sinners for your salvation. This juice represents the blood that he voluntarily allowed to be poured out the next day. I don't like to use the term that he spilt his blood. That sounds accidental. He poured it out willfully. It was the way of conversion for you and me. He had to be that sacrifice. You had to have a sacrifice, as did I. And Paul described that last night like this in 1 Corinthians 11. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Jesus promised in Matthew that night that there would come a day he would drink this cup anew in his Father's kingdom. That's why we anticipate a second advent. To that time when all of God's people are gathered together and will feast and celebrate at that table what it means to be the redeemed people of God. No longer in the world, instead in a new kingdom, a new world. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your son Jesus Christ. Thank you for his advent that he came to be our Savior. God becoming flesh, to live among us, 
and to dwell among us. Father, I pray that today, tomorrow, not just this Christmas season, but every day that you would remind us of the sacrifice of your son Jesus, the fact that he's redeemed us and received us through adoption, that we belong to you, that we have been bought with a price, but that we have been bought for a purpose. May we serve you and faithfully look for you, I pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Let me mention this before we sing and part with the blessing. Um, it wouldn't be Christmas without a gift, so I know some of you maybe have already had some sharing of gifts with your family, but I want you to receive something from your church family and specifically uh, from your pastors here. Uh, for every household here today, we want you to pick up one of these books at the Welcome Center, one per household, okay? One per household. It's called Sunday Matters. If you could do one thing that would guarantee going forward into the new year that every Sunday could become even more special than our Sunday gatherings already are, would you commit to reading this book with your family? Each chapter, there's 52, one for each week. It's a devotional book written by Paul David Tripp, a fantastic writer. And it's designed to help you and me learn more about what it means to be the people of God and to gather for worship every single week. Every chapter is only two or three pages. I think I found one that was a four-page chapter. It's a brief devotional. I would really encourage you to gather as families, as couples. If you are uh, living alone, then yourself between you and the Lord. I would really encourage you every Saturday night to find 10 or 15 minutes to stop and read that chapter aloud together. I promise you, it'll make Sunday mornings absolutely revolutionary, revolutionarily different. I think I just made a word up, didn't I? Then even now. And we want you to have a copy, all right? So be sure to get one as you leave today. God bless you for being here. Our heart's desire is that you grow and understand the direction God has for you in your life. We hope that by listening today, you are one step closer to discovering that for yourself. If you live in Northwest Arkansas and are looking for a church to call your own, we invite you to reach out to us at Calvary as we study and serve together. We meet for worship at 1030 on Sunday mornings at 1410 North Porter Road in Fayetteville, Arkansas. If you wish to find out more information about Calvary Church or simply contact us, you can do that through our Facebook page or at calvaryfayetteville.com. Until next time, remember that God, His Word, and His people can provide direction for life.